on through, but I'm going to go ahead and ask us to stand. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8. We're going to read the first 21 verses, so it is quite a bit. Here we stand in the honor of God's word because we believe God's word is like no other word, and so we stand as a way of respecting um, that it is a gift from God that we would know what he has given, that we would know his will and better understand uh, who he is and what he has done for us. But we also understand that sometimes we need to sit down. So 21 verses is long. Feel free to sit, um, take breaks, stand back up if you need to. But we're going to go through the first 21 verses. Chapter 8, verse 1. Soon afterward, he went on through, this, through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil, <clears throat> evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Johanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to hear him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell among the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell, fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he, said these thing, as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears, uh, ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it is be given to know the secret of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away, from, takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has, he has, will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Let me pray. Our Father... Be with us now as we open your word, as we, as we desire to grow in understanding of your word. And this, is, this is a hard text, some very strong implications that you are communicating to us through this word. And, and Father, I pray for humility as we listen to it. I pray for faith. 
I pray that your spirit moves in us. God, I pray for the, the revealing of idols that we may have. I pray that we'd be moved towards repentance. And that, God, I pray that we fall more in love with you, better understanding why you came and what you have done through Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Bless it now as we, as we look at your word. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. So, beginning in verse 4, we come across one of the most common and memorable parables in the Bible, the parable of the four soils. Um, and I'm sure if we raised hands, if you're a believer, if you've been in, gathered with a church before, you probably know this parable, or you probably have heard it. But I think it would be helpful to lay a little bit of groundwork, and I think we'll start with, what is a parable? So the Hebrew word for parable is the word mashal, which essentially means proverb, and proverb is an illustration of wisdom. And Jesus, when he uses parables, uses them to speak about the kingdom of God. So it seems that a parable is a kingdom equation. It's a kingdom equation. Now, I did not come up with that. There was another theologian that came up with that terminology, which I forget his name, but I, I kind of like that. And it basically it means that um, a parable is an illustration of wisdom about the kingdom of God. So it's a kingdom equation. They help us better understand the kingdom. Um, but let us not think that when we, we say it's an, an illustration of wisdom, that it's the same thing as like a, a sermon illustration. Because when, when someone like me would use an illustration in a sermon, it's so that hopefully the truth that's being presented will be understood by everyone who hears. It, it's to, to, help, um, to help reveal the truth that is there. Um, but that's not the way Jesus' parables necessarily function. In verse 9, the disciples ask the meaning of the parable. And just notice how Jesus responds. He turns disciples and says, To you it has been given. So notice the meaning has been given uh, to the disciples to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they're in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Huh. Well, that's interesting. I mean, have you ever thought about that? So Jesus, he used parables so that people wouldn't understand at times. He did not use parables so that parents could go home and teach their kids and they would automatically understand. He did not use parables as simple, cute word pictures so that when we heard, we would know the meaning, would walk away and go, oh, that is just such a great illustration. Jesus was the great illustrator. All preachers should be like Jesus, using great illustrations. Well, if we did that, then there would be a lot of people that wouldn't understand. Jesus used parables as a means to reveal and conceal truth about the kingdom. He used parables as a means to reveal and conceal truth about the kingdom. This is why when we go to verse 10, Jesus quotes from Isaiah chapter 6. And he says that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. If you remember, Isaiah, we call him a major prophet because he wrote a large book. He's not better than other prophets. He just, he's a major prophet because his book is large. 66 chapters. And so when he was commissioned by God... God told them, you're, you're going to go forth and you're going to preach. And Jesus didn't, and God didn't say, you know, when you go forth, they're just going to fall down and repent. It's going to be amazing. But he says 
that your message will dull hearts, will further blind the blind, and make the deaf even more deaf. Yay! Pick me to go say that message. And that's what Jesus did. He uses parables that will reveal the truth to some and to others. It's going to conceal the truth. It's going to make them deafer. It's going to make them even more blind. So let us not think that parables are cute little word pictures and sermon illustrations so that we all better understand the word of God. Jesus used them to reveal truth, but also to conceal truth. So if we, we kind of sum up everything we know about parables... A parable is a revealing and at the same time concealing truth about the kingdom of God. So that's what we mean by kingdom equation. It's going to reveal and conceal truth about the kingdom of God. So this obviously leads us to another question. What is the kingdom of God? And it seems like such a simple question with just a simple answer. But if you look through the scriptures, you will never once see a clear definition of the kingdom of God. Never once will you see it. But it's talked about everywhere. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke all talk about Jesus entering the scene, coming in, and they say he's preaching the kingdom of God. Now, Matthew uses the word kingdom of heaven. He uses that because he's talking to a Jewish audience, and they wouldn't use the word God because that is sacred for them. They just wouldn't use that word. But when you come across kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God, it all means the same thing. And so many people will simply say, Well, when we talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about the sovereignty of God, the rule of God. And that is certainly a part of it. And if you were to go through um, the the parables, you would see that a lot. But I think that definition is a little too narrow. And there's a, a man named Graham Goldsworthy, a great theologian. And I love the way he summarized a definition of the kingdom of God. And he states it like this. The kingdom of God is God's people under God's rule, in God's place. It's God's people, under God's rule, in God's place. So we see that God's kingdom consists of a people who live in a certain place, under his rule. And just real quick, if you go back to Garden of Eden, you have a people in God's place, under God's rule. Right? There are his people, Adam and Eve, they have sinned, thus they're separated from God. And then we have this redemption plan that is released, that that culminates in Jesus Christ coming, dying on a cross, raising up again, so that at the end of the book of Revelation, we have a new heavens and new earth, where we have a people, the people of God, in God's place, in the new heavens and new earth, under God's rule. We begin with the kingdom of God. Sin has come. It's a separated people. The, Jesus comes. And eventually, we, we see the kingdom of God birthed at the first coming of Jesus. It culminates, meaning it will be seen by everyone when he returns again. In the end of Revelation, we have God's people in God's place under God's rule. So this is the biblical story. This is what we have from Genesis to Revelation. This is what Jesus comes and he's proclaiming. And so when we, when we come to a parable, Jesus is helping us better understand the kingdom of God, what it is to be God's people under God's rule in God's place. So now let's, let's look at the, the parable, knowing it's going to help better understand the kingdom. 
So what is the point of this parable, the four soils? Many will say that this parable, understanding this parable, is, the, uh, is necessary to understanding all other parables. Um, it's kind of set at the beginning of, of most of all the parables that are given. In Matthew 13, this is the first one that's given before the rest of them. In Mark chapter 4, it's given at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Here in Luke 7, this is one of the first, or 8, this is one of the first parables we have. So the primary point, I'll give it, then I'll show how we got to it. And hopefully I do a good job of that. The primary point is the one who hears and responds in obedience to the word is a citizen of God's kingdom. So the point of this parable is the one who hears and responds in obedience to the word of God is a citizen in God's kingdom. And I want to point out in verse 8, Jesus says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Surely Jesus is not just saying, guys, if you have these things on the side of your head, listen up. I mean, just he could just say, everyone listen up. I mean, that, that's what he would say. But he's saying something specific. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is calling us to do a certain kind of hearing. Not with the ears on the side of our head, but with our hearts. He's calling for a spiritual hearing. Look at verse 18. Jesus warns, take care then how you hear. There's a certain kind of hearing. He's saying we need to do, he's then giving a warning, we need to take care. If, if we go through the parable... We see that every soil has the word hearing related to it. Verse 12, those, those who have heard. Verse 13, when they heard the word. Verse 14, he said, they are those who hear. Verse 15, he said, hearing the word. Jesus is emphasizing, so there's a, a right way to hear the word, and there's a wrong way that, to hear. The right way leads to belief, leads to faith, leads to salvation. The wrong way will lead to unbelief. If you look at the end of verse 12, it says, so that they may not believe and be saved. So the hearing here is about salvation. There's a hearing that leads to salvation. There's a hearing that will not lead to salvation. So that's, that's what's at stake here. And so let's look at the soils. There's really two types of soils in two different categories. We have three soils of unbelief, and we have one soil of belief. They're not descriptions of the Christian life. There are three soils of unbelief and one soil of belief. And so we'll, we'll go through them. And if you, if you read commentaries, if you read, they'll all describe the soils in, in many different ways. So I have, I have defined them the way that I'm defining them, but surely you can define them in other words also. So number one, we have the individualistic judging soil. The individualistic judging soil, and this is the one who does not think much about Christianity at all. He simply casts it aside. He doesn't care about it. it. Jesus says the devil takes the word away so that the person would not be saved. Now, do not think... That this person is sitting here going, oh, I wanted to hold on to the word. I wanted to hold on to it so I could be saved. Oh, now I can't be saved. If that's not what's taking place. He wants nothing to do with Christianity. He's the one who hears the word, says, I don't care about the word. And so what we see is Jesus is saying, the devil is taken away. He, he doesn't care about the word at all. This person's not wanting to be saved, but the devil was just faster than he was. And we need to, to think that the, these can be very nice people. These aren't just some terrorist group. These can be great, these can be great neighbors. 
This would be wonderful people that, that you live near. Um, this can easily be the person that says, you know, I, I hear what you say about Christianity, and, and that, that's interesting. But I don't want to believe just one thing. I, I like some of the things I've learned over here in the Middle East um, and, and some more Eastern thought. And I think some of the New Age, New Atheism has, has some interesting things too. And, and I don't want to just believe one thing. I, I want to take a little bit from everything. So they can appear to be very nice, very humble people. But in actually, actuality, what they're doing is they're placing themselves in a very high judicial position saying, we get to choose what is right. I get to choose what is right, and I'm going to take a little bit from this one, a little bit from this one, and a little bit from this one. And I'm going to combine that, and I will call this my belief system. And I will, I will say this is the right way to live. And so they place themselves in a very high, very supreme judicial position of deciding what is right and what is wrong. This is the one who does not care about Christianity. You know these people, you've witnessed to them, they have no desire, they have no desire to come to church. If they come to church, they sit, they glaze over the entire time, um, and they they don't care. Number two, the emotion-laden soil. Here we see the person, upon hearing the gospel, becomes full of joy, full of great emotion. They're possibly brought to tears They quickly want to be involved in the church. They may even run out and and want to tell other people about the gospel. They might be getting involved in all the different ministries. They want to help with the coffee. They want to help with the library. They want to help with the nursery. They want to help setting up things. They want to help tearing down things. They're everywhere. And in the beginning, we're just going, wow, these people are great. This is amazing. Like, man, if only we had 20 of these people. But then... Then a time of testing comes. Something comes in their life. They get let go of their job. A family member passes away. Something happens. Maybe it's a culmination of some things. But something happens. A time of testing comes, and they abandon their faith. They say, no. No, if God was real, this this would not happen. They're like a sponge that has soaked up the gospel, and they're full of it. But as soon as the squeezing came, they bled out the gospel very quickly and abandoned the faith. And I'm sure many of us know these type of people. They, they seem committed, and then all of a sudden, they have no desire to be a part of the church anymore. This is one reason that when someone desires to become an elder, we should not make them an elder quickly after becoming a believer. It should be a time of testing. We want to know who they are. We want to make sure they have real faith. We want to make sure they're truly growing in the word of God. In 1 John chapter 2, it says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Notice they they went. Their leaving the church was evidence that they were never a part of the church. Because if they'd been a part of the church, they would have persevered. Real faith perseveres in trials. In James chapter 1, we're told to rejoice in trials. That doesn't mean we all automatically rejoice. Doesn't mean as soon as the trial comes, we're like, all right. But it means that we are to rejoice. We're commanded to rejoice. As we have faith and in community with other believers, we're walking through trials. We're encouraging each other to have faith that we would have joy, knowing that God is perfecting us in the trials. That He uses the trials for our good. Then there's the pleasure seeking soil. Here we see. Some people, they receive the word. It seems like they they love the word. But then eventually they become distracted by earthly pleasures. 
These may be physical things. These may be sexual relationships. These may be respect at the workplace. It could be many different things. Whatever pleasure it is, they're pursuing it more than they pursue Christ. They desire it more. They have constructed, and now they're worshiping this idol, whatever it may be, and they're worshiping it rather than Jesus. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, Timothy writes, or Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, Remember Demas? He's left me because of his love for the world. He's left me. He's fallen away. He has no desire to be a part of the church anymore. He's pursuing other things. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul warns Timothy, The love of money has caused many to wander away from the faith. This text isn't meant to say that, well, he's really saved, but he's just kind of having a rough spot. And he's saying, no. They actually have never been saved. They're now desiring pursuit of money, of pleasure, of whatever this is, is evidence that they have no desire to love God. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, this is what John writes. Do not love the world or the things in the world. It's very clear. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That doesn't mean we don't take pleasure in things. That doesn't mean we don't like things. It just means everything fails in comparison to the joy of Christ. We see things all through the cross, knowing that God has come to save us, that we live with him. I had a friend that was um, uh, with, with me in the last church where I served at. He, he became a leader in our youth group. It was great. Great guy. Served, did amazing things. He started going back to school. His wife was making money. He began to make money. And soon he desired nothing about church. He stopped coming to church altogether. And his possessions kept increasing more and more and more and more. And I would meet with him. And I would talk with him. And he'd say, it's really not bad. It's good. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. These things aren't taking me away from God. I just, I just need them. I just like them. I just want them. And soon he had no desire at all, at all, to be a part of the church. It's real. It happens. Let me say two things before we move to the believing soil. Um, Do not think that falling away is quick. This isn't, oh, they just came to know Christ. Okay, we'll give them a two-week period. Let's see what happens. Um, it can take time for the garden to become full of weeds so that it chokes, chokes out the healthy plants. It can take time for the weeds to grow, meaning someone may be part of a church for five years, 10 years, 15, or 20 years before it becomes evident that they actually don't have faith in Christ. That's possible. There are many testimonies about that. There are people who have lived and grown up with the church for 20 or 30 years thinking they were saved before they actually became saved. This is one reason we never cease to preach the gospel on Sunday mornings to believers, to unbelievers, to those who think they are believers. We don't ever stop. So if you're ever here, you're kind of going, why do we always go through the gospel like every Sunday? Well, because the gospel, for one, is the greatest thing ever, and we can never tire of it. And, tr- and secondly, it's the only thing that saves. And, and we all continually need to hear it. And secondly... Notice that none of the first three soils hang on to the word. They all lose it. They give up the word. None perseveres. The first one doesn't want anything to do with it. Just, it's like rain that hits the windshield. Windshield wipers take it and throw it away. Like it just cast aside. 
But the other ones, they seem to have it for a time. They seem to be, are they, are they believers? Are they not? But eventually there's no perseverance in the word. So let's move to the soil of belief. We'll call this the persevering fruitful soil. In verse 15, we're told that the soil is good. It is the good soil. When it hears the word, it holds on to the word. The word hold is in the present tense, meaning there is no end in sight. It's holding, and it will keep holding the word because it loves the word. It will continually just grasp the word. And because it holds on to the word, it will bear fruit. According to verse 8, it may produce a crop of a hundredfold. If we looked at Matthew and Mark's account, it says that the good soil may produce 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold. So Luke just didn't mention those ones. He just says 100. His point is, the healthy soil produces fruit. That's the point. If you hear with your spiritual ears and have faith in the gospel, you will produce fruit. The parable is not about only 25% of those who hear the word are saved. It's not about statistics. It's not that at all. It's not saying, well, even though 75% you know, percent didn't hear the word, the hundredfold makes up for that at the end. It's simply saying there are many who will hear the word and, and will not truly hear with their heart, but those who do hear will produce fruit, and that fruit will be abundant. The evidence that one is truly a citizen of the kingdom is they have heard and respond obediently to the word of God, thus producing fruit. And let me just, let me just prove this. I just want to walk through a few texts. Just, just listen. You can write them down if you want. Um, let me just read them through. John fifteen eight. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The bearing of fruit glorifies the Father and proves our discipleship. Matthew seven nineteen through 20. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Luke chapter 6, verse 47. Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I'll show you what he's like. So the point is, if you, if you hear the word of God and you live out the word of God, you're like the person who builds the house on the rock, so that when the storms come, you persevere, you endure, you stand firm. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Jesus Christ, and I love this, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the reason we're saved is for good works. At least that's one reason. James 1, this is what Mike referenced to earlier. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. What happens if we're hearers only? Deceiving ourselves. If, if we just say, well, I have the word and we do nothing with it. We're deceiving ourselves if we think we're saved. Titus chapter 2 verse 14. I love this one. Listen to this. Paul writes that Jesus came and gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Why? Why do he do this? Who are zealous for good works. He's zealous for good works. 
This is why Christ came, that he would save us, purify us, make us a people for his possession, not so that we would just simply gather with the church on Sunday, say, hey, I'm saved, and then go back home and do our thing. But they would be zealous. We'd be zealous to serve one another, zealous to serve our neighbors, zealous to, to be fruitful, to grow in love and joy and peace and patience, and, and, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, grow in serving one another and sharing the gospel with others. We could, we could go through, that's a sampling of text. They just say, as we grow, we are to be fruitful. In fact, to be a Christian is to be fruitful. And if it's not an oxymoron, it's, those aren't in contrast with one another, but to be a Christian is to be fruitful. And then, just to emphasize this, Luke gives us four exclamation marks around this text to prove this. So number one, these exclamation marks. I don't think these are in your text. I don't think they are. Well, they're not up on the screen. They're in your, they're in your bulletin, actually. Verse 16. Here we see that fertile fruit producing soil is like a shining lamp. Look at verse 16. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. It's, it's being related to the fertile soil. The fertile soil produces fruit, when you light a lamp, you don't put it underneath a mattress. That's a fire hazard, people. You put it out so everyone sees it. Cast light. Number 18. For, uh, number, so number, verse 18, which is number two, second exclamation mark. There are consequences for how we hear. To the one who has, more will be given. So as we bear fruit, we'll even bear more fruit. Possibly that's what it means. As we grow in our joy for Christ, we'll probably increase in our joy, maybe increase in our riches in heaven. There's a more that's going to be given, whatever this more is. But for those who don't have, but think they do have, even what they have will be taken away, saying, there is a day coming when you may think you have much. But if you haven't actually heard the word, and if you have actually heard with your spiritual ears and received it by faith and produced fruit, that's proving you are a disciple. Even the things that you have, they'll be taken away. And surely that's a reference to the, second, uh, to the punishment that Christ is going to bring to all who do not believe in him. Surely that's what he's talking about here. So number three, verse 21. Love, love this one. Love this one. Family members come. Hey, tell Jesus family's out here. All right, so now we have the redefinition of family. This is why we say family, the church's family, and why we will say the spiritual ties are closer than your blood ties. Okay, did you get that? Spiritual family is closer than your blood family. It's more intimate, it's more secure, more foundational. Jesus says, my, my mom, my, my brothers are out there. Oh, let me help you guys. My real family, and we'll just read it, verse 21. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word and do it. Jesus redefined family. He didn't just say those who hear the word. Because everyone, you know, we can say, well, everyone hears the word. What's the proof? How do we know we've heard? And do it. And do it. Those are three exclamation marks. The fourth one's a little tricky. Well, I say tricky because I think most of us would read it and just kind of like not think anything of it. Look back at verses 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 18. We'll start in, in verse 
at the end of verse 1. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom the seven demons had gone out, gone out and Johanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others. So Luke, why are you giving us these names? Who provided for them out of their means. Surely Luke is presenting these women as disciples of Jesus. They have heard the word. They have responded to the word. In fact, they're literally following Jesus and they're supporting the ministry out of their own means. Surely this is, this is what a disciple is. Good soil. One who hears, who follows Jesus and not only financially supports, but just just as fruitful, just serves the ministry of Christ. Four exclamation marks all around this parable saying, those who hear with their spiritual ears respond in faith and thus produce fruit are the good soil. So you may be asking yourself, okay, I see that as a believer of Jesus, one produces fruit. But your question is, but why? Why? Why is this so necessary? Why is it a natural implication? Why is works evident of our faith? And if we have no works, we can say there is no faith. Kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the kingdom of God. And so, Before we talk about the kingdom of God and the fact that the kingdom of God is coming into this world and is here, there's also another kingdom that's already here. It's the kingdom of this world. And it's the one that we're all naturally born into. And in this kingdom, all the citizens are sinful all the time. Remember the word total depravity, which we used last week? It means we only sin continually. Only sin continually. It's just like, can't say it more clearly. All we do. Everything we do is only sin continually. And the reason we do that is because we have sinful natures. Because we have sinful natures, we're under God's wrath, meaning there's no peace with God. We are not living the way He's called us to. We fully outright reject God and and His glory. We serve ourselves. And that can look in many different ways. So we have a kingdom of this world. We're all born as citizens in kingdom of this world. That's where every single one of us either was or is at this moment. And then there's this new kingdom where Jesus Christ comes in and he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It is here. And upon repenting of our sins, we're repenting of sinning of sinning against God, of not living how he has called us to, of serving ourselves instead of God, of glorifying ourselves instead of glorifying God. So we're repenting of our sinful natures. We're asking for forgiveness from God, which is possible through Jesus Christ because he died and then rose again, thus defeating sin, death, and Satan. And when that happens, he brings us into his kingdom as citizens of his kingdom, or as verse 21 says, as family members of the kingdom. So this is, this is major. This is not um, just a name change. This is not, you know, I had the little, my name is Nick, and then my name is now something else, and I just put a different sticker on. 
This isn't, I'm in the line of the citizen of the king, citizen of the world, and then, oh, that line's shorter, you know? So I'm now a citizen of the kingdom of God. It's not simple, just proximity change. This is a change at the core. It's an identity change. It's a full transformational soul identity change that has occurred. We have gone from sinful people under the wrath of God to forgiven family members at peace with God. We've gone from those without the Spirit of God to now those who have the Spirit of God living in them, empowering us to be conformed to the image of God, thus producing the fruit of God. Do you see the change? It's, it's completely radical. This isn't like, well, you became a Christian, now you need to really do all these good works, but it's these good works are going to flow from you as you grow in your faith and better understand that you have changed, your identity has changed. You're no longer a part of the kingdom of this world. You're part of the kingdom of God, indwelt by the Spirit of God, forgiven by the Son of God, sealed by the Spirit, that you will be a citizen forever in the family of God. It's a major transformational change. So when we're saying, or as Jesus is saying, but good soil produces fruit. It's because he's talking about a kingdom thing here. We've changed kingdoms. We've changed citizenships. Right now, if we were to uproot our lives and go move to China, you want to know something? We would live differently. We'd live differently. We wouldn't be citizens of America experiencing democracy and everything else that we have here. We'd now be citizens in China and whatever area that's going to be like. And we wouldn't have freedoms that we do. We would live differently. We'd have different possessions. We would not gather like this freely with the church. We'd gather secretly in homes. We would live completely differently. Our citizenship would determine that. So, when we become citizens of the kingdom of God... Everything we do is radically different. Radically different. And that's what Jesus is saying. And so a parable is a kingdom equation. It's an illustration of wisdom about the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is saying, if you have ears to hear, you're going to understand when you become a citizen of the kingdom of God, you are good soil. You have been changed completely and dwelt by the Spirit that now you would produce fruit. And there are many that will hear that and won't, won't actually hear that. And they're here. You're here. It's here. There are some here, you're listening, and you, you think you're saved, but you haven't. Or, or you're sitting here and you're just going, I don't care right now. I, I don't care. That's one way. That's one belief system. But I, I don't want to only believe that. I mean, it has to be true. There's four different types of soils. Surely in here there's more than just one kind of soil. I hope there's a lot of good soil. I pray that there's a lot of good soil. But the truth is that there's going to be different ways we hear this and respond to it. So I want to, kind of before we we get to the the very end where there's a warning and encouragement, I want to especially talk, when we gather here, I just want to give some tips on how we hear. I think that's appropriate. He's talking about listen to the word in a certain way that you, that you grow and produce fruit. And so I want to talk about when we gather here, how can we hear the word 
in a way that hopefully maximize our growth in the faith and produce fruit. I'm sure we can come up with many other things that I've written here, and I, I hope the principles that are laid out here would be applicable not only when we gather here, but also if you're doing your own personal Bible study, or if maybe you're meeting with a small group, and this is maybe how you can prepare when gathering with that small group. But when you come here, and so just here, or you're opening a word by yourself, or you're going to a small group, or whatever you want to call it, be in prayer for faith and humility. Just, just, I mean, I bet, I bet if we just said who prayed in the car ride over here this morning, or bike, I don't know what Daryl did today. <laughs> who really just sat there and just praying, God, as we come here, increase my faith. I mean, I, I would pray that we would do that, but in reality, I think, I think we just go on cruise control when we get here. It's Sunday. Car just automatically comes here. But I just, I just want to encourage, what if we actually prayed for faith and humility? We could do that as a family. I know that growing up, Sundays is like Sunday morning is war day. And it's just like everyone's at war in the family. And it's like, all right, now get out of the car and be nice and sweet as we go into, you know, into church. I know some of you have experienced that. So it's like, oh man, like Sunday is like just crazy riot day at the house. And we all come in with our plastic smiles on then. I just want to say, we can pray individually, but we can also pray as family. As a family, and I mean actual family, blood family, or, or whatever you are when you come here. Number two, be teachable, not judgmental. Meaning, it's so easy to like critique with the things I say. I know there's times I may switch a word and say kingdom of world instead of kingdom of God, and it's like, oh man, that... Well, I think even... On one of these, it has the word apart, A-P-A-R-T, without a space. I think that's the wrong way to use it. It's easy to critique. It is. Um, But what if we came expecting to learn? Expecting, God, I know that your word is going to be preached, and it's your word. I know that you're going to change me today. What if we came expecting to learn? And and you know what? Honestly, I could use more prayer. I mean, I'm sure some of you are praying, but I, mean, I could just use more. <laughs> I need help. And rather than critiquing, and whether it's me or a Bible study leader, pray. Let's pray. God, use him. He is a messed up person. <laughs> Let your word come forth clearly from him. Be attentive and take notes. I can't encourage this enough. Um, take notes. Now, some of you say, well, I get distracted when I take notes. I get that. It's a learned skill. Learn it. Learn it. Like, just do it. It's so much better. And some of you may have you know, really good reasons why not to, but I think most of us, the reason we don't is because we're lazy and we hide behind the, well, you know, I, I listen better. I don't want to get tied up. I didn't bring a pen. We got little pencils. They work great. And, uh, but, and, and so I even know what some people do. They, they bring their journals and they actually don't even use the, the sheet that I give you because you don't want to be turned anyway. You just want to write whatever it is you feel like God wants you to write. Do that. Bring your own piece of paper. But then the cool thing is, is when you're not here, you can look back on it. You can look back. Um, Be prepared to change. What I mean, repent. Every single time we come under the word of God, we should come ready, ready to repent. Every single time. 
which we probably all need to repent of now not coming ready to repent. You know what I'm saying? Like, I would, if we did hands, who came ready to repent today? No, I came to be encouraged. Great, be encouraged that you're going to repent and be made more like Christ. Because every time we come under the word of God, he's going to be revealing sin, revealing areas that we can grow in godliness, revealing, sure, areas that we're growing in, which can be great encouragement, but also areas that maybe we need to, need to pull out like weeds. Be rested. Um, I don't know, sleep before you come. And I know that, that some of you like to sleep in here. Um, yeah. <laughs> There's really no way to hide behind that. Like, I see everything. It's not that big of a room. I know some of you nod off. I know some of you head. It's not shaking in agreement. It's just shaking. Um, um, there's two, there's maybe more than two reasons. There's one, you're just tired. That's because, like, oh, it's already night. I stay up late. You know what a really good testimony is? When you're out with those friends, say, hey, I'm going home early. Why are you going home early? Because tomorrow I'm gathering with the church and I want to be ready to hear the word of God. And they may think you're crazy, but they're going to respect it. Number two, it's spiritual warfare and Satan doesn't want you to hear the word of God. And that's probably very much the case many times. He just doesn't want you to hear the word. He'd much rather just take it before we can actually believe. Um, be obedient to what you already know. I think there's many of us that think we just need more and more Bible studies. If only we had six more Bible studies a week, then we'd be really good Christians. Um, if we really want to grow in our faith, let's live out what we actually already know. So today, we know that as good soil, we will produce fruit. Let's just work on that. Um, I'm amazed at how many times I hear, oh, this person must be really mature because he knows a lot. There's nothing in this text that says knowledge equates to maturity because knowledge does not equate to maturity. You can have the entire Bible memorized and go to hell. That's the truth. The Pharisees were right there. They knew it better than anyone else and they never saw the point of Scripture on it pointing to Jesus Christ. Um, Obedience is a sign of maturity. Obedience is a sign. So let's grow in what we know. Number seven, be ready to discuss with other believers. I think every time we hear things, we should try to communicate it with others to simply grow in what we have talked about. Number eight, be responsive. What I mean by that is every time we hear, every time we gather, come listening to the word as though you're going to have to communicate this truth to an unbeliever. What if we thought that way versus a cul-de-sac where the truth stops here? Let's actually see ourselves as conduits and knowing that as we receive the truth, now let's be channels that God is going to use to communicate this truth and love to other people. Too often we just stop and we just say, wow, good sermon, and we move. But what if now we say, okay, I want to now communicate this. How am I going to do that? Be spirit-dependent. The whole time we listen, the whole time we're in a Bible study under a sermon like this, Spirit, help. Help. God, I'm feeling distracted right now. Just help. God, that's a tough word. I probably need to come back to that later. Help me to do that. Help me to be humble there. Um, Be spirit dependent. And let's pray that every time we open the word of God, we see him as more glorious and more beautiful for what he has done for us and because of who he is. Every time, let's just pray our picture of God grows and grows more beautifully. 
Those are 10 ways I encourage you to cut that out of your bulletin, paste it, tape, tape it to your Bibles. Um, Inside, outside, use it as a bookmark. Don't paste it. That's just weird. Uh, Who's got paste anyway? Um, But tape it and just go through those. I'm going to a Bible study. Have Have I done some of these things? I'm coming in under a sermon. Have I, have I listened to these things? All right. <clears throat> One, two things. A warning. Verse 17. The kingdom of God is in one sense a secret right now. That's what we see. Verse 17. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is, it, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. It may be a secret right now. Not everyone knows that the kingdom of God is here. Not everyone knows it's coming, but there is a day it will come and everybody will see it. Therefore, verse 18, take care how you hear. It is coming, it is here, and it is coming. Let's not think that there's no consequences. Let us remember, as good soil, let us thus produce fruit, tell others that they also would believe. Now, a word of encouragement. This text is meant to encourage us that as believers, we would look at our lives, see fruit, be encouraged. And maybe that's where you're at today. I think there's two ways we do this. One, you have my personality. It's just who I am. I read the word, and this is a hard word. And, and I'm encouraged, go, man, I, I want to be more fruitful. This is amazing. God has, has saved us that we can produce fruit. I want to do that. Or you're someone else, and you hear the word, and you're going, oh, man, I don't produce that much fruit. I don't feel encouraged at all. I might not even be a Christian anymore. Now, that is a good thing to ask yourself after a word like this. But let us also realize that Satan would love to cause doubt right now. And let us pray for the Spirit to work in us that we would desire to produce more fruit. Let us fight that spiritual war that says, oh, well, you're not really that fruitful. You might not really be a Christian. Let's fight that with faith and say, oh God, I know that you have saved me by your son, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again. And I know that I am good so, and I want to grow. So God, increase my faith. Increase my dependence upon your spirit that I would begin producing more fruit. Help me to do that, Lord. That I would, that would show forth you in this world. So as we close and Mike comes up, I want us to repent. There's no hiding behind it. I'm not going to like <clears throat> mask it in some long way. I want every one of us to just, just pray. Because I think, if we're honest, all of us can say, I'm either not producing fruit, which that may be because we're not good soil. And if that's the case, I pray repentance. I pray repentance. Believe that Christ came. That he would save you. That he would forgive your sins and that you would be made new. I would repent and receive Christ. And two, I think there's many of us who are here that if we looked at our lives and we were to say, I don't view works very necessary. I don't think about fruitfulness very much. I more read the word and I just go forth from the word. I'm more on cruise control. I think if we were honest, all of us, if we're all believers, we could probably all raise our hands and say, 
I'm not growing like I know God wants me to. I'm not producing fruit. I'm not reading God's word as a means of conforming me to him that I would show him more in how I live. And so it's there. I I just want us to spend a few moments and repent. And and then Mike can just, uh, if you'll just take us into um, the music as as you have that. So just give us a few moments um, and then just begin playing there. But, uh, and then I know the offering will be coming forward. Let's not miss this opportunity, though. Let's just take it. We're here. It's a cool room. We have chairs. Let's just take a few moments with God and just talk to him where we're at and repent um, and pray that we grow closer to him. So let's do so. And then I'll close in prayer in a few moments. Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, your word does not present cheap grace, but it's costly grace. You've saved us through the death and resurrection of your son that we would be made new and live for you. And I pray that as a church, as your body, as your bride, that we would grow more in love with you through your word, dependent upon your spirit, and that, God, your fruit would flow from us, would grow a hundredfold. Thus, this world would see you, your love, your grace, your forgiveness through our very lives. God, we thank you for salvation. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for your love. And God, by your spirit, God, conform us to your image. Help us, to God, to cling to your word, to hold on to your word with patience, with good hearts. We would produce fruit. Not only thus proving that we are disciples, but God, proclaiming you in this world. God, we love you. God, we thank you for all that you do for us. In your name, Jesus, amen.